Oh, absolutely. You know, like I said, rock and roll was a love before the Beatles, but when they hit it just really was music that that spoke to me. It was really of our generation. There there was something different. They looked different. They were from England. They were they were exciting. They were funny. They were charming, cute and all of that. And then all the music that came along with them, the, the British invasion, it was just it was just fun, you know, with the music was very joyful. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your broadcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. But today, we're getting off the Springsteen train, and uh, we're talking to an actress, a supporter of the arts, and someone whose Twitter feed brings me great pleasure, <laughs> Maureen Van Zant. Maureen, welcome to the show. Hello, Jesse. I'm glad it gives you pleasure because a lot of people are very annoyed by things that I say, but it's, uh, it's all good. <laughs> I, I, you know, um, this morning, you know, my wife was going, can, can you believe what he said about the military? Like, in, like your dad retired from the army. And I'm like, I just, I'm still angry. I just have like, nothing this guy can do shocks me anymore. And not to start politically, Maureen. I don't want to get you revved up, but right? No, and I really, I don't like to talk about politics, but this is a very special case because I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. Not in my lifetime anyway, and I've been around for a while. But uh, it just seems really pure evil um, on all fronts. And, and you know, my, my father, all of my uncles served in the military, and I, I just think it, it's a disgrace. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, people are really affected by this. And I think yeah. a lot of people who might normally support him may be military families. A lot are Republicans. I don't want to generalize, but, but a lot yeah. are. And I'm hoping that this is maybe a wake-up call to a lot of them. I, I hope so, too. I just, it, it um, and, you know, I, one of the things I really have admired about you and Stephen's tweets, right, is, is, you guys believe in the two-party system. You know, you, you understand that there should be a debate, but this is just this administration, I promise we're getting on politics, just has a lack of empathy and sympathy and caring that just that's, that's boggles me. No sense of humor about anything, first of all. Yeah. It really bothers me in any person, you know. I right. find frightening, but no compassion like you said that that's really what it is you know just have a little bit of humanity absolutely absolutely I, I, I accept almost anyone as president now if they just had that kind of humanity and, and cared about what's going on especially now it's just such such a horrible time and to not care about people dying i, mean, I don't want to you know yeah i understand that, you know. um there's another podcast i listen to which is all about um tv shows and movies relationship shipping right and they were saying that there was recent discussion about, okay, do we buy a lot of stamps to support the post office, but don't mail them 
So that way they just get the money. Or would it be better if we buy a lot of stamps and then mail a lot of stuff so that, you know, their volume would go up? And there was a debate right. back and forth. And they said, wouldn't it be nice that if we could get back to um, a common goal, we have a goal. We want health insurance for everyone. Let's just debate how we do it. We want to have safe borders, but we also want to be a welcoming country. We just debate how we do it. So to quote, you know, let's hope for better days, right? Who said that? <laughs> hey, yeah, what did that? All right, Maureen, I always like to start at the beginning. So talk to me, where did you grow up from, grow up at, and what kind of music did your family listen to? Well, I grew up in, mostly in Newark, New Jersey, and my family was very much of the Sinatra generation. So I, I grew up listening to a lot of Sinatra, Tony Bennett, um, the singers of their era, some of the big band, but even that was a bit before my parents. Um, show, I listened to a lot of show music. Um, I think that you know a lot of the standards at that time would be on the they would call it the hit parade then not the sure yes or whatever so I, I always loved all that I always loved the theater my grandfather used to take me a lot when I was a kid and uh, also grew up with a lot of Elvis because I had a babysitter who was a big Elvis fan so uh, oh, that's fine that's neat so that was it yeah so that's that's what I grew up with and then of course um you know when the Beatles hit that you know and I always loved before that all of the uh, I, lo I loved soul music i've listened to mary the k on the radio and yeah uh, you know listened to all the, I, I just love music in general I, I would i would buy every record i had a an uncle my uncle mario who used to supply jukeboxes all over new jersey with singles so every sunday he would come to my house with a big box of singles and i was in heaven so i was always a very very big music fan knew every song knew every artist and and then when the beatles hit that was kind of a complete update. it changed things so yeah. Were you, did you get to borrow the 45s or did you get to keep them? Oh, no, they were mine. They would be extra oh. that, that he would have. So I had quite a collection. Where that is now, I would love to know, and I'd probably kill to have it. But yeah, you know, not a lot of my other things, <laughs> along with my Barbie dolls and all that stuff. So um, I, I've told this story a couple of times, but my grandmother ran a post exchange, which was an on base, basically, target. It is, you know, it's where the military. Um, you know, soldiers and their family would go to get, you know, shampoo and other supplies. And she managed that. And I would go to work with her when I was five or six. And I would go to the comic wrap, take every comic I want, go yeah. to her office. She would rip the cover off so she could ship back and get uh, credit and would give me all the comics. So much like you, I would love to know, like, I'm sure just uh, like all those comics that my, so my grandmother gave me that love of comic books. And I think, you know, that's neat that your uncle fed your habit, so to speak, of all these singles. Yes, definitely encouraged it. For sure. That's great. That's great. So you talked about when the Beatles, so as you're getting older, um, the Beatles and rock and roll became more of a love. Oh, absolutely. You know, like I said, rock and roll was a love before the Beatles, but when they hit, it just really was music that, that spoke to me. It was really of our generation. They were, they were something different. They looked different. They were from England. They were, they were exciting. They were funny. They were charming, cute, and all of that. And then all the music that came along with them, the, the British Invasion, it was, just, it was just fun. You know, with the music was very joyful. And, um, you know, uh, President Kennedy had just been 
assassinated, recently been assassinated. And so they came right after that. And I think that we were in a very sad state. And I think they, they uplifted everyone, especially the younger kids. About how old are you about this time? Um, like 12. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, that just, it, it is, I, and you kind of talked a little bit about that, but um, they did speak to a lot of people, and they continue to. I mean, their music is just truly timeless. It really is. It's interesting. I was watching uh, on TCM last night, there was the Tammy show, which mm-hmm. was a, a, a really fun rock and roll show that was put on TV somewhere in the early 60s. And, um, and there were some artists on, some British artists who were doing Beatles songs in, in their sets. And, you know, their sets were good. And then you get to that one Beatles song and you see it was so much better than the other songs because they, they just were brilliant writers. And they, they kind of elevated everything in the business. Yeah. Um, when did you, because if I understand correctly, you did ballet for years. When yeah. did that, when did you first find that love? It sounds like you already had music. You already had a theater background because you were going to shows. When did ballet enter the picture and why? Well, it, it sort of entered very uh, unobtrusively. My best friend was going to take ballet class and I thought okay I'll go with you <laughs> I didn't really I always loved to dance you know because I think that was the love of music you know music would make me want to dance but I didn't think of any formal training but but you know we were quite young like five years old and I thought well my best friend's going I'm going um, sure. I went she quit I didn't <laughs> I stayed I loved it and and that was it it just really um it really appealed to me because I'm a very perfectionistic person and, it, and it's a discipline where, I mean, you can never be perfect, but it, it kind of makes you strive to be perfect. And that, that, that's part of it, you know, maybe to the extreme sometimes, but it really, it really appealed to me, everything about it, the music, the, you know, the discipline, all, all of that really um, seemed right for me. Do you remember the first time you performed in front of people at a ballet? Yeah, well, I, I did with little, you know, recitals mm-hmm. at the, um, you know, at the dance schools and all of that. But then, um, you know, got to be in the Nutcracker at Count Basie Theater. You know, I remember dancing there as a kid in the Nutcracker. And it was um, a really surreal kind of feeling. I would suppose a different feeling than people who are performing with a rock band where the audience is participating. This was always very quiet and you kind of couldn't see anybody. So you're in your own world up there. And it was really cool for me because it was a very, you know, fairy tale, magical kind of world. So with the lights, the music, all that it was just, it was really, really beautiful, you know. I, I think that's interesting that I've never heard that discussion about that the quest for perfection is, is one of the reasons why this, this form of art spoke to you. Um, I just think that's interesting. And um did it become frustrating or did you just enjoy the challenge of trying to get better every day? I, I think that's part of it. I mean, it, it becomes very frustrating. Um, I would get very angry. I would cry, um, you know, couldn't get this step right. And, and, but it was just the idea that you go back in there again and, 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 and do it again. Yeah. I make it as, as perfect, as close to perfect as you could. You know, you just tweeted just recently as we're recording this, um, a Bob Fosse movie oh, was on TCM. And just, uh, it, 
I, I've, um, I've never been involved with dance. I've never had any family members in dance, but I have had friends kind of through that. And they've talked about just the amount of admiration he did and how he changed things and everything. I thought that was an interesting, you shared that. Well, he really did. I, I've always loved his work and I uh, knew him a little bit because I lived in the same building as his girlfriend. At okay. the time. And, and he was a, a frequent visitor and there were a lot of dance people that lived in this building. So we kind of would gravitate towards each other. And he was, he was a very charming and, uh, and cool guy. And I think he really did change things. He changed that classic Broadway choreography. He made it sexier. He made it more interesting. He made it more human in a way. Um, and and I, I think the work that he's done and also his work as a director is yes. amazing. And I think that does come from the dance background where he's tuned into every little thing, you know, the way a person moves their hands, the way they turn their head and not just in the dancing, but, but in the acting. And um, so I, I love, I love all of his movies because I, I watch for that detail and, 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 and it's there and it's, it's, it's just great. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stephanie Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Yeah, when I I remember... um, seeing all that jazz for the first time and, and not getting it 
but being fascinated by it. Right? Like, I'm like, this is something really interesting, but I don't quite understand what's going on. And I've revisited the movie multiple times. Yeah. And it's very meta, right? It's him doing him, but it's not him. Yeah, it's, it's very unusual. I don't know that anything's ever been done like that before. And it's, it's very dark. It is a dark and film. And that whole thing with the Angelique character, who is the angel of death, really. And I think it takes some time watching it to realize who she is. Yes. Because, and she's so beautiful and enticing. And I think that was what people saw in, in, in Bob, that he was kind of, um, I don't want to say attracted to that, but he was kind of bent on doing whatever he wanted at the risk of hurting himself to smoking the pills. Yeah. The, you know, everything that he did was not really healthy. And, and I think they always felt that he flirted with that. So that's what he was doing in, in, in the movie. So I thought that was an amazing um, aspect of the movie, you know, to put that in there. And that, and, and it must be very strange to do a movie about yourself when, when you're living and watching um, the way you've lived your life. Yeah. And it's very, and, and to share that, I loved the FX series that they had just last year, right? Oh, Where, yeah. Yeah, it was just amazing to kind of, and I think they didn't pull any punches. They also, you know, they showed the genius of both of them. And um, there, there, was a, there was a writer named Bob, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark Evanier, that had knew Gwen just lightly. And he had wrote a column about how much when he talked to her, there was a lot of affection in her voice. No matter what the pain they'd gone through, there was some love and respect that she had for him. Yeah, because they started out as co-workers, colleagues, and I think he enormously respected everything she did, and she was a real muse to him. Yes. And, um, and, and I think, of course, he, he gave her the most wonderful work to do. So I, I think yeah. there was mutual admiration there, and it, it was great that they, you know, she was with him when he died, you know, yeah. you think of all they had been through in all those years, at, at the end, she was, she was the person with him. Yeah, that's, and that's. It was, and it was not that he was on his deathbed, he was on the street. Yeah. And she she was there. So, you know, when you think of that, they really, you know, went from almost start to finish together. Absolutely. Like everything else, all the crazy stuff that went on in between. Yeah, it, it is almost, I mean, a very a theatrical kind of um, life in, exactly. in so many ways. And what a great legacy. Um, how long did you stay with ballet? Oh, my whole life. <laughs> yeah. I'm still with it. I still, well, you know, we've all been sort of, stopped in our yes. efforts but um my, my connection now is that I, I teach acting to ballet students at the american ballet theater school which is called nice the school and so so it's great you know i mean i've taught dance over the years and coached dancers but the the acting thing is really it's really kind of cool for me because it it incorporates both things that i've done and um you know, dancers have to act, but they're acting with their bodies. And uh, a lot of them are very reticent to really go all the way with the acting because that's not what they do. So, so the acting classes, they're, they're, it, it's been an interesting experience because they see how, how shy and scared they are about acting, but yet they'll go on stage and they'll go in, in, in the classroom rehearsal room and, and do the most death-defying things. But uh, it's been really, really fun. And, and um, I hope to be able to get back to it soon, you know, when we can be in uh, crowds again 
Yes, exactly. I, I like that, Maureen, the thought, because I've never, I've never made that connection, but um, a, um, a podcaster that um, I know, um, Matt Donnelly, was a improv and stand-up comedian, mm-hmm. and he started to do magic because he is friends with Pendulette right? Uh-huh. And he's written for the their show. And he did not realize how much of improv and comedy would be useful in the music, uh, in the magic world. In fact, usually, you know magic, and then you have to work on learning that. So I think that's the connection, right? Is, you know, you you're you're aware of your body you're aware of performing and and acting with your body but to have that okay now we're going to take you to the next step we're going to show you how you can project and and do dialogue or other things is is a fun challenge i think that's a neat thing to do yeah and and, you know dancers we we don't use our voices so when i did my first acting class i I was terrified i thought i have to talk and it's a whole new way of expressing yourself of course they're never going to do dialogue on stage unless there's not on a ballet stage, I mean, unless there's some um, strange reason for it, but but at least it, it gives them a dialogue in their head. You know, if I'm playing, I'm playing the Swan Queen. I can go out there thinking, oh, you know, this is a prince, and you know, I'm in love with him. This man may rescue me. So there's a whole inner dialogue that you can have while you're dancing, which I think just I think all of the arts enhance each other. So oh, I think so too. Does, yeah. Um. So. When you, I don't know, I've not heard the story. Were you drafted to do The Sopranos? Were you, I mean, when you got that gig, and if you want to share with me how you got it, I'd love to hear. But are you nervous because you're thinking about this is a whole new skill for me? Oh, absolutely. Well, I had, um, when I got injured dancing, I I couldn't do it for a while. I I was very miserable. And I thought, well, you know, I'll go, because I had, I'd studied acting before, you know, and I'd done a little bit of, theater stuff as, as a kid. Um, and I thought, I'll go back to acting class. And well, actually what I did is I, I decided to go to college <laughs> in my old sure. And I wanted to write. So I was in the writing department and I was taking a Shakespeare class and I had to write a paper and I was exhausted from, you know, all the other papers I had to write. And my teacher said, uh, okay, I'll let you not write the paper if you do a scene from Shakespeare, an acting scene. And I thought, well, it might be easier than having to sit up all night writing. So I did the scene. And uh, one of the professors from the theater department happened to come in and watch. And he said, you should be in the theater department. So I switched over to that, which was interesting. And, and I did, you know, have a, a great time. I was out of college. I was obviously, you know, one of the oldest students there. because I was <laughs> a 18-year-old and I was a lot older than that. But it was fun. And uh, that got me, you know, thinking, okay, I'll go back to a real acting class now. I mean, an outside acting class, not that that wasn't real because it was great. Um, So I did that. So I had been acting. Um, uh, In my acting class, I worked a lot with an actor named Paul Schulze, who ended up playing Father Phil on Sopranos. Okay, sure. And apparently he had told the casting director that, you know, I I was, he thought a good actor and that we had worked together. Because I, I, the first year of Sopranos, um, I was not on that year. I would go to the premieres and events, and I never told anybody that I was studying acting or working because I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't looking for a job. I just was there as a uh, wife of, of one of the stars. Sure. So um, at the end of the first season, there was a rap party, and the casting director came up to me and she said, "I didn't know that you acted, 
we need to have a new wife for Silvio. Would you like to come in and audition? And my first thought was absolutely not. Uh, this is <laughs> really weird. Not that, I mean, I figured, well, I'm not going to get it anyway. But I just thought it might be weird to be playing wife of my real life husband. I don't know if that will work out. I don't know if it's going to cause problems. And at first I said, I don't know. And then she said, well, you know, just come in and read. Um, I, anyway, I went in and read. There were many, many women sitting in that hallway. And I thought, and they all looked very Italian, you know, dark. <laughs> and I thought, oh, there's no way I'm getting this. Right. So I just went and I just thought I'll have fun with it. I did. And, the, and they called me back and then it got down to four people. And we all had to go up in front of the entire Sopranos crew and, uh, you know, writers and costume people. The whole crew was there. We had to each go up and do a scene in front of them. And I somehow got it. So um, that, that was what happened. I was, I was really in shock because I, I really did the whole thing as an exercise and tried to have mm -hmm. fun with it. Didn't expect anything from it. And, and when I got it, then I thought, oh, boy, now I really have to <laughs> have to do the work. So yeah, so that so that's how I got it. It was it was kind of drafted, but I I did audition. I did go through the process. Yeah. yeah, that uh, you were awesome. Uh, and, oh, and I yeah, it was it was you know, and obviously the Sopranos is the Sopranos, right? There is it, and what a nice way to be part of that in any way, but especially with you know, I think of a very important. Um, role, not just obviously with Stephen, but as one of the spouses and all that interaction, I, I think you you gave some humanity and, and, you know, you're her friend, right? You're Carmela's friend, yeah. not just business associates. Exactly. And um, look, you know, to have that as the first show you're ever on, I mean, you, you can only go downhill. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're on Mad Men or the Cray, you know, I mean, there are others that, that I absolutely think are amazing mm -hmm. and since Sopranos. But yeah, I, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and I grew up around that, those type of people. Mm -hmm. So I, I really did see it firsthand and I, I didn't want to play her as this rough, tough mob wife because most of them that I knew weren't, you know, right. they were the wives, they were friends, they were they just supported their husband. They liked their nice life. They liked getting their hair done and their nails done and getting nice clothes. And they weren't really in the business. So they didn't yeah. really have reason to be, you know, rough and tough. You know, I mean, look, it's great fun to play that, but I, I didn't think that's who she was. Yeah. So, and I also think what I really like is, you know, when you see this, um, you know, you and Edie Falco playing together, right? You also you never seem to forget that she's also the, my, my, my husband's boss, right? The wife. And so there is that kind of underlying tension that you play really well. Yep. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, there's that hierarchy there. Yeah. You know, you're not going to try to overstep her. Right. That's interesting. Very it's, nice. Very nice. So I, you know, as an actor, you couldn't overstep her no matter yeah, what. No, no. Yeah. She's, she's, she's amazing. Um, very cool. You know, I, I did want to ask you, and I, I, um, I, 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 I have, I don't want to talk too much about, um, 
Bruce and the band and everything, I, I really wanted to talk more about your experience, but I did have one question. Yeah, and, you can talk about Bruce and the band. That's what your, your show is about. And well, I yeah, yeah. Talk, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to give any uh, you know, personal details of you. <laughs> well, and the reason why is, um, and, and I'm, I, I've told this to a couple other people, there is a uh, local sports writer here in Dallas that says, if you talk to Nolan Ryan, the famous pitcher, about his six or seven no-hitters, he will be bored. But <laughs> if you talk to him about the two home runs he hits, he will talk your ear off. And yeah, so for that concept, like, you know, Maureen's probably tired of talking about uh, little Steven's projects and all this stuff. So I appreciate you saying that. So my question, so my friend Sam wants to know, he said, did you marry Miami Steve or little Steven? <laughs> well, he was definitely more Miami Steve then than, than little Steven. Although okay. he had just, well, he kind of started disciples around the same time that we got mm -hmm. married. So I, I yeah. guess both. I was a bigamist. Yeah. I, I married both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. I love an answer. All right. So um, my wife, for several years was the executive assistant of a CEO of a company. And so anytime we went to a business event, she worked the whole time and I would be off to the side with other spouses mm -hmm. of the other executives. And so we don't know each other. We're not friends, but we're stuck together. And then over the years, she started making friendship. I don't want to put it's, was how was it when you're starting there's there's all these spouses and significant others of the e street band like are you guys thrown together a lot or and over the years have you guys I, I assume you have some kind of relationship but is there some where you've just developed really strong friendships well i would say for me it was mostly in the beginning because that's when i spent the most time around the band yeah um you know i never really toured with them I, I i did one full tour with them this was after i'd gotten injured dancing and i was yeah. you know what it was doing with my life and i thought they were doing the river tour which i guess was 80 81 and yeah. one to go to europe i think for about three months i thought I, i'm not doing anything here i'll go on the yeah. tour and and i had a blast it, it it was great um so i became more friendly with I guess the women that were around then okay. I would stuck together with them a lot. I was very, very close. And, and in fact, still am with uh, Joyce Heiser, who was Bruce's girlfriend at the time. Okay. And, you know, she, you know, we were very, very close and together a lot. And, you know, we went a number of years where we didn't see each other, but we've reconnected and, and we're friends now. And, you know, we will see each other if she's in New York, I'm in yeah. LA. And I, I would say, Probably those women in the early days, we kind of bonded more because we were around more. Sure. And, um, you, know, the, you know, a lot of the guys have married a second time. And, and of course, I, I'm, you know, friendly with everybody. But I don't really, um, I don't really follow the tour as much as a lot of them go on the whole tour. So I'm sure they're yeah. all really close. Mm -hmm. And we all get along, you know. Um, yeah. Get along you know, great with Patty, you know, when I see her and we... we see each other socially sometimes sure. and you know we always have fun and but uh i you know when i go to visit we kind of um kind of keep to myself you know okay we all have our own friends like i'll go over when for instance when the band plays in in england because i have a lot of friends there and you know we have our right. own friends there so we kind of go off on our own we're not really hanging out with with the band sure. that much um you know Stephen probably does it when you know yeah. uh, on the whole tour but when i'm there we kind of just go off and do 
whatever you would do if you're on a vacation and then go to the yeah. show. And, you know, I go to the show and I don't really hang out backstage. I go and I watch the show and, you know, I'm backstage for a little bit, but I'm not sitting backstage the whole show hanging out. And that's what um, you kind of tend to do if you end up go, touring all the time, because no matter how great a show is, how many times can you see? You don't want to get sick of it. Right. So you end up either sitting backstage, reading, drinking, you know, whatever. And, and that yeah. really interested me. I always want to be doing something. So I, I'm I at the show, I want to see the show. I, I don't want to, you know, hang yeah. out and do nothing. I'll, I'll go out and go to you know, somewhere else if, if I were. Sure. Yeah. I was going to ask, do you, do you still enjoy watching your husband perform? Oh, of course. You know, I, um, Listen, I, I love to see any performance that's really, really committed. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, anybody is more committed than what Bruce does. And, you know, yeah. when he does his shows, they are, right. they are there all the way, you know, as you know, for many hours. And, yes. uh, and I just really, I really, really admire that. And I, I, I'm in awe of that because, because I think that kind of passion, you know, to have that kind of passion for so many years. And still go out there and, and give your all. Not many people do that anymore, and, and I, I really look up to that. So, in the the two thousand, when they did the river, the the latest river tour, where mm -hmm. they kind of the tour that wasn't supposed to happen, right? According to rumor, like, oh, we'll do a few shows. Yeah, oh, that's I, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Share with it. You know, uh, like, because, right, the thought was, well, we'll just do a few shows. And, oh, well, if we're going to do a few shows, you might do more. And it seems like two years later, they're still touring. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's part of the commitment thing. I think once yeah. they went back to doing it, it was like, this is fun. This is great. Yeah. Why do we not want to do it? As a fan, I looked at it, and it, it seemed to me they were having fun. And also, it... I think there was a little bit of uh, the road in front of us is shorter than the road behind us, regardless of how we're all healthy, we're all good, but just the reality is, you, you know, know, you don't know. And just, it seemed like every time they were just enjoying being together. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you talk to me? I know. How did you and Steven get so involved in education? Because I know that is one of y'all's big um, causes you guys work on in teachers. Well, I mean, I would have to say it's really his okay. cause, not mine. I help out okay. when I, whenever I can and however I can, but I can't take any credit. Okay. For, you know, the whole Rock and Roll Forever Foundation, the music, um, history lessons and all that. That was really all him, and he's got an amazing group of people that, that work with him on that. Um, you know, the educational things that, you know, I've, I've always been involved with, um, you know, because I do teach, because I teach yes. dance, I teach acting. Um, so of course I, I do support that very much. I kind of, I got him involved with uh, an organization called Little Kids Rock. Okay. Provide musical instruments to underprivileged kids and also train teachers how to teach those kids. So I guess oh, in that sense, I, I got him involved in, in that direction. But but Rock and Roll Forever was re it's really his okay. thing, and and I you know I'm there to help him whatever way I can you know. Mm -hmm. But need to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. There's nothing wrong with that. Are there any projects you're currently involved that are more, not that you're not passionate about, but is there individual things that do 
you're more passionate about that is more, you know, from your heart? Um, I, I wouldn't say any particular projects. I mean, there are okay. a lot of organizations that I've, I've gotten involved with. The, the thing I think I'm most involved with, and of course that's also been put on, on hold, um, there's a group called Rocket um, mm -hmm. Music Academy that's based in New Jersey. They, they honored Stephen and me a number of years ago. We got an award from the Count Basie Theater and this group uh, was playing that night. They are a bunch of kids that are trained to play rock music. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they're taught all of the instruments. They all sing. They all have, you know, a bunch of little groups within the big group. And it's run by a man named Bruce Galapani, who was a musician, still is. And he just, he started this whole thing. The Count Basie was... Uh, it, that was their home for a while. And when I saw them that night when we were honored, I was just so blown away by them, by how talented yeah. they were and, and how these kids were playing music that I grew up with and really loving it and knowing it and having that passion for it. So I've worked with them a lot over the years. I, I, I appeared in one of their shows, the Who's Tommy. Mm -hmm. I, you know, had to sing in it, which was a nightmare for me and the audience. I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, no. But it wasn't, it wasn't that long. So I, I think it was bearable. But, uh, you know, I've helped costuming them. I've mm. helped, you know, making the show shows yeah. better or, or helping kind of co-produce, giving advice um, and mentoring those kids. I've used them as openers for my theater company a lot of times. Nice. And they're great. So I would say that's probably the organization I uh, am most involved with. And, um, you know, the, the other thing that I do is I, I, I teach acting. I um, Vincent Pastor from The Sopranos has um, an acting workshop at HB Studios and he asked me to come and teach it with him. And so I've been doing that for a number of years. And even though we're not able to do it now, we're still working with the students on Zoom. Okay. So good. we'll still, you know, be doing scenes and working on projects. So that's something I would say I'm the most involved with right now. That's awesome. That's so great. Um, so once we get out of this, hopefully, um, mm -hmm. what's next for you? What do you, what do you have next on your agenda? What, what, what have you, what do you want if you haven't done it yet or things that you've done before you want to do again? Well, I want to do everything. <laughs> yes. Um, well, you know, my theater company, you know, which I've had for the last several years, we mm -hmm. were about to open a play a few days after everything got shut down. Wow. We were very disappointed. We ended up doing the play on Zoom. And oh, nice. it was very well, but you know, it's not the same as live performance. So no. I would say first thing is that I will put up a, a real live production. I've been working on The Graduate. Um, oh, nice. Robinson, uh, which is so fun. Um, and that was something we were rehearsing before this all started too. So I think that will probably be the next live project we'll do hopefully when we get back to do it and hopefully i can get back to you know, to the teaching which yes. i really, really love you know that that's very very fulfilling and and the the actors that that we work with are really come such a long way and we're and we're a family you know we've all been in touch this whole yeah. time and working together talking mm -hmm. so I, I look forward i guess most to getting back to that i want to go back to dance class yeah i got it which I can't do. I want to, you know, I want to do everything, you know, I want to get yeah. myself done, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I know all of us miss live music, not just from Bruce and Steven and, but just from everyone. Just, yeah. just, you know, um, and 
you know, I know Jason Isbell on Twitter is talking about how he just, it's just killing him not to perform. And so I, I, I'm sure everyone is in that mindset. Yeah, well, I went to a social distance concert last week. Oh. Very strange. You know, Vinny Pastor, who I spoke of, he has a band that's called the Gangster Squad. Oh, and nice. They kind of play a lot of classic rock and roll. And um, it, there, there's this venue in, in Times Square. It's actually a big rehearsal studio that they've turned in sort of a, a club and done very beautifully. And every seat is partitioned. So there's glad you're sort of okay. in a cubicle in a way. And they're very strict with everything, you know. You have to wear the mask. You have to have your temperature taken. You have to be yeah. mindful. You can't move. You can't go near people. And I thought, I'm scared to go. And I thought, no, it seems pretty controlled. So I went. And it was great to hear the music, but it was not great to hear the music in that kind of atmosphere because it's an atmosphere where you want to move around. You want to be able to yeah. talk to people that you're with. I mean, the people I went with, I couldn't even really communicate with them. I was kind of in my own little box. And again, it was great that it was being done. I'm sure the musicians love being able to do it, but I... I really don't foresee that kind of thing working in the long run because I think people want to be free at a music show. Yeah, yeah I think, and we want that connection. I mean, that's one of the right. that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast, right? Is to connect fans with each other and let them share their stories. And so, yes, I can imagine it would feel very um, almost clinical, right? Like you're in this little cubicle and while you love the music, you can't reach over and, you know, and pat your buddy on the shoulder and go, Oh, look, I can't believe they're playing that. Or, you know, yeah, so you yeah. Can't up and dance, you know, right. like, sitting in my seat, kind of moving around, <laughs> like, you know, not doing the usual mm -hmm. thing. But, you know, again, it was, it was an interesting experience and it was fun, but that's it, good. I'm just hoping we can do it the old way again. All right. Well, I've kept in, I've kept you way too long. So I just two other things, and then I'll let you go. And oh, um, I'm free. So okay. Uh, by the way, please tell Stephen that I love his tweets about what's on the what's coming up on TV and the suggestions. It is like you know we used to have TV Guide. Now we have TV Stephen telling us, "Hey, check this out." So now, you know we all have a lot of time to watch TV. <laughs> yes, we do. We do. Uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area, and he every year his honors English class that your seniors they take two days and they break down thunder road as a film as a as a poem they they discuss all the imagery that's in there they uh, they compare it to robert frost the road not taken and at the end of the two days he asks the question does mary get in the car so maureen that's the question i have for you at does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road well you know i'm you're talking to a real hopeless romantic here who also loves the tragic endings as well as the happy endings. But I'm going to say, yes, yes, she does. Because I think it's that line, you're scared and you're thinking you're not so young anymore. I, I think she's thinking, what the hell? I think he presents a very convincing case, even though he says, you know, you're not a beauty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which might encourage me to go even more to prove that I'm more than all right. But yeah, yes. I, I, I think... I have to believe that because it, it's the lyrics are so beautiful and and i would think if any man comes to you and speaks like that i think you have to give it a chance oh that's awesome uh if please give everyone your twitter handle and then we will get out of here i am mvz a go go 
and it is okay, always absolutely. fun to follow you. Great, thank you. Marie, thank you so much. I hope you had fun. This was absolutely lovely. I appreciate it. This is my fifth anniversary this month of the podcast. Oh, and you, thank you. So this will make for a very a great episode. Have a great uh, weekend. Oh, phone ringing. I don't know what's going on here. No, 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 I hope it's nothing important. Uh, take care of yourself. Uh, we just love you and have a wonderful day. And uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime. Absolutely. Anytime. It's been a pleasure. Thank Bye. you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Merry Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. Set Listing Bruce. Set Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.